Always. We ask the questions. What is needed in the world? Humankind has tried to define and debate what art is for centuries. And perhaps those definitions are driven by our desperate need to better understand our existence. Throughout history, art has been a form we use to tell our stories, express our faith and beliefs, and depict the phases that have marked our social evolutions. And the best introduction to art photographer Jean-Franc says is to stroll through a museum. Anstapfasen at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Art critic Jerry Sol says museums are not destinations, they're wormholes to other worlds. On this edition of Talk to Al Jazeera, we've come to the National Museum of the Netherlands, home to some one million objects and a collection of more than 2,000 paintings from masters such as Ruisdaal, Hals, Vermeer, Steen, Asseleen, Helst and Rembrandt. We will explore what their masterpieces tell us about the past and what they mean for future generations. And we will be accompanied by one of the most knowledgeable minds on the subject. He's walked through this gallery since 1995, firstly as a junior staff member, today as the director of the Rijksmuseum. Taco Dibbets talks to Al Jazeera. Hello, thank you so much for having us here Hi. in this extraordinary uh, setting with the 17th century characters around us. And this is your most prominent work here at the Rijksmuseum, the most impressive, the Night Watch by Rembrandt van Rijn. What does this work make so special? Well, it's like the symbol of the Dutch. It's the, one of the most famous group portraits in the world, or rather the most famous. Rembrandt, one of the most famous artists. But for the Dutch, it means something very special. We are here in the Gallery of Honor, the main gallery of the National Museum of the Netherlands. And at the high altar, you could say, there is the Night Watch. And it's not a king, it's not a religious painting, but it's a group portrait of the burghers, of the citizens of the city of Amsterdam. The, the man, guardians, basically. Yes, the guardians, the man who in the 17th century protected Amsterdam against the Spanish, because the Dutch were an independence war against the Spanish. Rembrandt really makes it into a very vivacious painting where everything seems to move, and it's not a rather stiff portrait, which he usually had at that time. And with that, he changed the entire history of portraiture. Recently, uh, the Rijksmuseum, and you were mu really much uh, behind this, uh managed to buy another Rembrandt, uh, the standard bearer. 175 million euros was, a, of course, a lot of money. And there was quite some controversy about it, right? If this should be paid for uh, another Rembrandt for the Rijksmuseum. Why did you want this painting so badly? Because then you can tell the story. You, you see there the story of Rembrandt really coming into full bloom. And at the Rijksmuseum, you can see the entire development of Rembrandt's uh, uh, art. And this work, yes, it was a lot of money, but it is for the public there for always and for the next generations. And they really get to know often Rembrandt at the Rijksmuseum. So what do we have here? Well, these are all paintings from Haarlem, a town near to Amsterdam. You've got beautiful still lives, and you've got the um, married couple 
which is one of Franz Hals, his great paintings. And basically, the masters of the Netherlands are Rembrandt, Vermeer, and Franz Hals. Franz Hals is a bit earlier than Rembrandt, and he is incredibly gutsy in his painting. It's this um, confidence that they radiate that was really so typical for this new country, a small country that was faring incredibly well with, um, with trade. Also, they 17th were... 17th century, yeah, golden the 17th, age. Yeah. But the 17th century, of course, was also the time when the, the Dutch went out to the East Indies and uh, the colonial times uh, started, uh, the VOC yeah. period, right, of yeah. uh, international trade. Yeah. So, so how do you see those paintings in depth? Disliked. Well, the incredible thing about 17th century Dutch painting is that they really show um, the world or the, the, the life of these people at that time in the Netherlands. And there was a great accumulated wealth. Um, lavish. And very lavish, very rich, with products coming from all over the world. And that has its cost. I mean, obviously, the, 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 the wealth was earned in a way with slavery, with really maximizing the gain from countries in the East uh, through the Dutch East Indies Company and in the West uh, with the sugar trade and with salt um, that all came from the Caribbean. It's part of history, so we have to face it. We have, we have to, to see it. Yeah, we have to see it, we have to face it, we have to tell it. You're currently hosting one of the largest exhibitions ever held at the Rijksmuseum, uh, a large uh, uh, exhibition of uh, Johannes Vermeer, the Dutch master, the, the largest collections of paintings ever on display together. Uh, it's been called a thrilling exhibition. Uh, nearly half a million people have uh, uh, bought tickets and they are attending the exhibition. How do you explain that a, a Dutch master who has been dead for nearly 350 years attracts such a large audience, uh, more than even modern artists like the Rolling Stones? Well, I think great art um, is always of today. It's always contemporary. So it doesn't really matter how old it is, if it's good, it's always relevant, and it's always of now. With Vermeer, it's fascinating because he painted a very small oeuvre of paintings, so there are only very few paintings left. So in a sense, it's the smallest exhibition we've ever organized. There are 28 paintings, but his entire work consists of 37 paintings. So it is the largest Vermeer exhibition ever with 28 paintings. And we know that we can only do it once because um, the Frick Collection in New York, which is a wonderful um, private collection, you could say, which has been open since Mr. Frick died in the past century. And um, they've got three Vermeers that are now here because they're renovating their building. Otherwise, they never travel. So we know that this will never happen again. And I think that, that the urgency of it and that you have so many works by Vermeer together and a great artist that makes it an exhibition that everybody wants to visit. Everyone, exactly. And it, some people have complained it was too massive, it was too crowded, they could barely see uh, the paintings. They're quite small. Um, is this a dilemma you're facing as well? You, you want 
uh, not only the elite or a certain group of people to enjoy art, you want a larger population, a larger uh, group of people to enjoy art, but then you run the risk that it turns into some kind of uh, what someone called a blockbuster event or like a, a mass consumption event. Well, we are with more people in the world. More people are traveling every day. So we have to, as a society, we have to get used that it's busier also in museums. Yes, of course, there are people who would wish to have a painting of Vermeer by themselves and see it on their own, but that's not possible. But how it's do you feel everybody's. that people are complaining about it? Um, you always kind of measure, you also see in the beginning we had days in which we had more people enter and we, out of 10, we get an 8.8 .8 as, a, as a mark. So it's a very high mark. And we saw that if we had more people enter a day, then it went down. So we uh, kept it at this number. And then you have to disappoint a lot of people. We now have to disappoint many people that they can't get in. So it's a balance. Museums are also social places. You, they're um, one of the places where you have fewer and fewer shopping malls because people shop online. In a museum, you see real people, you see real works of art, and you can start to talk but about it. Is that it. also what you want to uh, portray as a, in a museum? That, 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 that it turns into some kind of mass consumption, that more people can enjoy it, but maybe the quality is going down? I think you always have to balance quality and quantity, but I do feel that art should be accessible to all. You have uh, around a million uh, pieces of art the Rijksmuseum owns, right? There's only thousands on display here. A decision by curators, what will be on display? What will, what will be a good piece of art? Shouldn't that be more democratic, uh, that process of who is deciding what is art and what well, is not? Well, I always say to the curators, you have to have your antenna in society. You have to listen. But you can't, it's like a room in a house, you can't um, install or pre make a presentation with millions of people. And you then have to make a decision as a curator what you show and what you don't show. And that we do with exhibitions. So in exhibitions you really tell a story like we but have how, now how can here. The unknown artist who has made, maybe made a brilliant work ever reach the Rijksmuseum if, if the curators don't know this? Well, but the creators have their ways to find out. Um, I think that they are always looking, and that's also the task of the museum, is to always look for something new. And what you want to do is that, on the one hand, a museum like the Rijksmuseum or a national museum is a place of recognition where you, where you um, have anchors, you could say, that you always find. You know the Nightwatch will always be there. Usually Vermeers are always in the same place. You visit it and you kind of recognize things and they give you a feeling that you also know something about it. And then you have things that surprise you because curators, as any researcher, are always looking for something new. So they're always, um, they're not they conserve the works of art, but they're in that sense progressive that they look for but how new do you findings. keep them fresh? So you want to kind of break out of your comfort zone and you want to look into other ways, other countries, other cultures, what, and that rejuvenates your thoughts. And also you sense what are, which subjects you think are important 
um, to touch upon. You've been uh, uh, working at the museum here for nearly 20 years, right? Seven years now as the director. A lot has changed in those uh, years. So we had the Dutch government apologizing for the long slavery history. How did this impact um, the narrative here in the museum? I think the museum should always be of today. So when I moved to Amsterdam and I started to work in the Rijksmuseum, I felt that's a story we have to tell. Um, it took me some years to convince everybody. And then what when, was I, the became, problem then? when was... I became general director, I announced that we were doing a show on slavery. And that Why was, was it so difficult? Because there was this feeling you can't really tell it because there are no objects. And I always said, well, that's no excuse. Um, and I think also there was a reluctance. And this year the Dutch government made its apologies. Um, I think that's something that had to grow, but also as a national museum you can take the, you can be at the helm, you're an, you're an institution which is a, um, which also has the responsibility to unite people and to unite the people living in this country and to also unite the people outside of this country. I think you have to be um, ambitious in that because also the, the slave trade was a, a global um, affair and I think that that's important to recognize. You also have uh, the story of the colonial art, uh, the objects that were stolen uh, from Indonesia, uh, former colonies uh, that the Dutch had. One of them, uh, one of the most prominent items is this diamond that was stolen from uh, the Sultan of Banjarmasin in 1858. There has been a lot of discussions, not only about the diamond, but also about the other uh, objects to be returned to Indonesia, to, to Africa, to Suriname. The diamond is still here. Why is that? Well, the Rijksmuseum um, is not the one to decide if it goes back, yes or no. Uh, that's uh, to the Minister of Culture. But we feel that it is a discussion that you need to have with a very open mind. I think that there is, um, was so much art looted that some cultures were deprived of their history. And I think it is not a judicial thing. Restitution is often spoken about as if there are laws for it, but you should approach it, or we should approach it as a moral obligation. And I think that countries have the right to their history. But there's also this feeling still that we can't really give it back because we don't really know how they're going to take care of it. So there's also this patronizing uh, attitude still. Well, I, I think we have to be quite rigorous of it. If it belongs there, it belongs there. And, we're and it should not go the back. Ones, then it should go back. And then we're not the ones to decide um, if, if they have the conditions, etc. But we also have to approach it from a, um, from a world heritage idea. I think that we have to, together with the countries of origin, look at where these objects serve to tell the story of humanity, but also to tell the story of the colonial period. And there's so you also want them here Indonesian, in the museum as well? Well, there's also an Indonesian community here. So I think you have to enter a discussion where you're willing to restitute objects, but where you, through research, together decide where the objects play their role. But because how do you feel that the diamond is still here? 
I think that we um, will keep it for the state as long as the state wants us to keep it. But I think that the uh, we've now have a restitution committee installed in the Netherlands. Indonesia has a repatriation committee, and they will speak together and decide what's going to happen on the diamond. You had also an exhibition on the independent struggle in Indonesia. There was quite some controversy about that as well. A, a group of uh, veterans were complaining that one part of the history in which uh, Indonesian youth were attacking uh, Dutch uh, old colonists were not, was not specifically mentioned. They actually even went to the police to make a report. So sometimes you also uh, criticize for being too woke, basically. Yeah, I'm not interested in the term woke. I think we have to tell history as it is. And the war for independence, which the Rijksmuseum pronounced really as a war for independence, because that's what it was, um, was is a part of history that's very important to tell, because it has a, had a great impact on the people in the Netherlands, and it had an even far greater impact on the people in Indonesia because they gained uh, their freedom. What did the, you think of the complaints of these veterans about this? I understand, I understand the complaints of all the people who went to that exhibition because you can never do justice to the suffering of different groups in one exhibition. And this was an exhibition which told the story the of the, side. Yeah, the, no, the story of the independence of Indonesia, and it was made by Dutch curators and Indonesia curators. 27 um, characters or 27 eyewitnesses were taken um, and they were spotlighted in the exhibition, which means that if you have 10 rooms and 27 eyewitnesses, they all represented different groups on the Indonesian side and on the Dutch side, that you can never do the every group the entire justice but, but that, that i did shows... feel we have to show not only the side of the dutch but this was an important moment in international history it's a painful process but it does um, help you to reconciliate the museum and also art has recently been used as a very different kind of staging ground for climate activists you had also here a few weeks ago uh, climate activists from Extinction Rebellion actually in front of the night watch. There was no uh, gluing uh, to the painting. There was also nobody throwing soup, but it did disturb uh, the, the audience here at the museum. What do you think of these act, uh, activists and, and their protests here? Well, in the I museum? think it shows the importance of museums as places where people gather and um, I condemn any kind of um, physical violence to paintings, like uh, gluing to a work of art, and um, for whatever cause. Um, but I think these climate activists were here, they made their point, um, they were asked to leave and they left. Um, well, you were, so they were covered pretty quickly, I saw the video, so yeah. they started their protest and suddenly people came and they sort of covered it so the, the, yeah. the public couldn't see them Yeah, because there's also the public who wants to see the art. So I think they made their point, they had their photograph, um, but to the attack or, uh, on works of art or the endangering of works of art, uh, we are against.
But do you understand why they use the museum and art? Because they said there's no art on a dead planet, for well, example. Well, I don't think you should um, play art and climate against each other. I think they should unite. But do you see why they want this attention? Because th that definitely worked, right? I mean, the, the stories, yes, the reports the museum went worldwide. Is not, the museum is not the place to do it. Why not? Because works of art are very fragile. And I think that art can teach us a lot, and art can also show us, in a sense, an artist can, the way to a better future. So that's why I wouldn't choose the museum to demonstrate it. Are you worried about the future, like future generations? Will they take care of these artworks the same as, as this generation? For centuries, people have been taking care of artworks. So I have every confidence that future generations will do it as well. The keeping of the works of art and the, the tension which we saw around the turn of the century, there was the idea, oh, it's a digital age, people won't come to museums anymore because they can all see it on their screens. Well, the attendance to museums has exploded. So I think that in the end, Museums are seen as social places where people gather and people want authenticity. They want to see the real thing, that you can walk here in the Gallery of Honor, that, honor, that we can sit here and we're actually surrounded, as, as, as you uh, said to me before the camera started rolling, that we are surrounded by these people from the 17th century. And you watch really, it over our shoulders. They watch over our shoulder and you're, you, you feel their spirits here. So I think it's something that will always um, but the impact, people. for example, of artificial intelligence on art, is that something that the, concerns I think if it's, no, it's not a concern. I think it's, it's a great added, can be a great added value um, if it really adds something to the knowledge of these works of art. And then, of course, you have artificial intelligence being used by contemporary artists creating art. And that's a different art form, and I, I think we should embrace it. What, what is that? that we humans have with art? Why is it so important? I think because it's something, the, what, what, what's distinguishing is that it's something that doesn't have a utilitarian goal. We come to museums to, um, to see and to, to feel what it is to be human. People make things, we're all makers, and I think that that's what art does and art shows us at the, at the most amazing level. Art makes us human. Yeah. Someone told me that every museum director really wants to be judged also by the acquisitions that he or she has done. Is that true and is that something that should continue? Personally, if I'm judged by which acquisitions I made, I don't see it that way. I don't make the acquisitions. It's a museum that makes the acquisitions. If a very important Rembrandt comes on the market, then if you would look back in 50 years' time, you would say, why didn't the director even try to get it? So you, you owe, owe it to your position that you try to get these works. And um, sometimes you succeed. But you still you have, to have to debate with society, do we want to spend that much money? Yeah, on, on yeah. and art. it's incredible to see how willing um, the Dutch society is. If you think that it, it goes through Parliament, and in Parliament we had an overwhelming majority 
um, which voted for the acquisition. And there's hardly any country that spent 150 million on a work of art. So it is something. What does it say about a country? I think it says about the Dutch that they're that they see the importance of art and that they see the importance of, of history because it's a painting that unites art and history. Um, and, and that they have the money, that they can spend it. Of course, if the money wouldn't be there, they couldn't, they couldn't spend it. But it's also about priorities. I was told that uh, the most expensive painting ever sold is uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi for over $450 million. If you would have all the money that you want, which one do you want to have hanging here? Haha, that's in a private collection or a public collection? Here, in the museum. In the museum. Well, I'm very happy at this moment, but... Um, There's no wish list? Well, they're quite... Of course, now we have the Vermeer exhibition, so you have this this kind of these 28 children of Vermeer here. Um, you don't really want to send home they're not, again. <laughs> which you don't want to send home. They're not for sale, but there are some I really love. Which one? Um, well, it's difficult to choose between your children. And every day I pick a different one. Um, which one was today? Today, today it was really the lace maker um, from the Louvre. But if you could have the money, if you would have the money, you would buy it. Yes, and the Louvre would say no, and I think especially France would say no, because they, if you look at France, they realize how important art is and how important, how also the central role of the Louvre, not only for France, but also for, will, for the world, I think, um, shows the importance of museums. Taco Dibitz, uh, director of the Rijksmuseum, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for talking to Al Jazeera.